you need flexible small business financing, Cabbage has the answer. They've created a way for you to get approved right away online or from your phone for up to $100,000. Visit cabbage.com slash ringer. When you qualify, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card. That's cabbage with a K. K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash ringer. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me today from the starters, which you can watch tonight on NBA TV starting at 6 o'clock Eastern, is Taco Trey Kirby. What's up, Trey? Verno! I feel like I've earned being able to call you Verno by being a repeat guest. Oh, for sure. You're, you're now multiple-time guest on the show. Um, all right, so first things first, what do you guys got planned for the starters today? Uh, you know, we got an earlier show today. We're usually at 7 p.m., but we've got Hawks versus Cavs on the network at 7.30, so we're starting a little bit earlier. We'll do – we're in the process of planning the show still, um, but we got top 10 plays for sure, worst of the week, a classic segment, and, you know, just our general hygiene and shenanigans. Okay, let me ask you first, since you were talking about the Cavaliers game, the last couple of days everybody's been talking about what took place in that Cavaliers-Celtics game. How much significance did you put on it? I put enough significance on it to the point where there was a lot of worry about are the Cavs still the favorites in the Eastern Conference? Are they still going to be representing the East for the seventh straight LeBron year, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, LeBron said, oh, this game doesn't even matter to me. Just stand back him. And then came out and destroyed the Celtics just to kind of remind people, I still run the game in this conference. Uh, I put it enough importance on that game to say, what were we worrying about the Cavs for? I think that that kind of answered the question. When the time comes, they're going to be able to turn it on. The perennial playoff team that nobody really is ta- nobody really talks about at all is that Atlanta Hawks team that got a win last night. You know, you were talking about them playing Cleveland tonight. Well, they got a win last night uh, against Boston. Um, do you think there's any chance the Hawks are a problem for somebody in the playoffs? Not really. I, I'm i not super high on the Hawks. I think that they have enough talent that they can be a middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team, which they've been, but they've also been really, really inconsistent, trending towards straight-up bad since the All-Star break. I mean, I guess in the right matchup, you could see Dwight bring, being a problem for a team inside that you know doesn't rebound very well like, like the Celtics or... You know, if there's a team that's going to try and play small against them, maybe Dwight goes crazy and playoff Dwight shows up and he throws up a 20 and 15 and he just looks like old school Dwight. But, you know, all things considered, there's not a lot of creators on the team. There's not a lot of different options and different ways they can play. They've been together for a while. You know, the Dwight change is different. We haven't seen him in the playoffs with this squad. But the Hawks, uh, I just don't see enough Variance. I don't see enough upside for them to do more than luck out in a matchup and maybe win a first round series. If that to me seems like the peak, and even that seems a little outlandish. Okay, so obviously with only a couple games left in the season, we're going to talk about where these teams could possibly end up because outside of the teams that are trying to tank, that's what's left to be decided. Either uh, Toronto or Washington are going to get four or five, and more than likely. Uh, either the Hawks or the Bucks are going to get uh, five and six. If you were Toronto or Washington, 
Would you rather play Atlanta or the Bucks? Or is the answer di- or is the answer different for both? You know, I think the answer to me is you want to just avoid the Cavs as long as possible. So I I would imagine both teams want to be in that three spot so that they can try and hold off until the conference finals to give the Cavs more chances to get injured is really the, the strategy I would be employing for those teams. I think the Bucks are scarier to me as a playoff team than the Hawks. You know, they made the playoffs with Giannis a couple of seasons ago. He had the, the body check on Mike Dunleavy against the Bulls. But we don't really know what he's going to be in the playoffs now that he's a superstar. So I think the the ceiling of the Bucks is maybe a little higher for for the playoffs than the Hawks, just because Giannis could go crazy for an entire series. Chris Middleton has been good since he came back, and he'll definitely help once it comes to playoff time. So I think the Bucks are a little bit scarier just because they can have games where they look incredible because Giannis is doing everything on the floor. And honestly, who knows? I mean, I, I, I made that about five and six, and those teams were probably most likely, but... When you look at the Bulls' schedule is at Brooklyn, Orlando, and Brooklyn. Like, the idea that they'll go 3-0 and to close out the season is not crazy at all, whereas the Hawks are at Cleveland, Cleveland, Charlotte, and at Indiana. So, obviously, either the Hawks or Indiana are going to take one more loss between them. But I, I suppose it is totally possible that the Bulls could end up up in that 5 or 6 for sure. Honestly, I'd rather the Bulls be playing the Cavs for their final five games of the season because when they play bad teams, they don't show up and they don't play well against bad teams. I mean, they took care of the Sixers last night, but in general, I want the Bulls to be playing good teams so that they have the motivation to play well. They somehow swept the season series from the Cavs this year, but they're playing all these, you know, bottom of the barrel teams. There's a worry that they come out and, you know, just lay an egg like they did when they were playing against the Knicks. Charlotte's out of it now, and the Heat, while they have been a sensational story the second half of the year, looks like their schedule is just too tough to get it back in. I mean, at they would have to really win a game that they're not going to be favored in because they're at Toronto, at Washington, Cleveland, and Washington. I mean, they would they would really have to, you know, I mean, they're going to be underdogs in all four of those games, I would assume, and and they're half game out right now. It's that's going to be a tough road to hoe for. Uh, for the Heat to be able to get into the playoffs. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Four games against, you know, teams that are in the top four in the conference that they're chasing, a couple of them on the road. Maybe the hope is that the Cavs have the one seed locked up by the time they face each other on Monday. So, I don't know, maybe the Cavs decide they want to rest some of their players heading into the playoffs since they don't really have anything to play for. The game becomes a little bit easier for the Heat and then they somehow pull off one of those wins. Probably going to need more than just one of them, but... uh they can do it. You know, the Heat have been great for the past two months. Um, they just got to keep that fire, and they got to just keep getting these wins that people don't expect them to get. Because that's kind of been the story of the Heat for the entire second half of the season. So they just have to hope that they still have the magic down the stretch. And, you know, if teams decide to rest to get healthy for the playoffs, that would definitely benefit a team that's still chasing for it. You were saying that, that you know you don't particularly believe in the Hawks. Uh, you talked about Giannis and the Bucks and his ability to be able to go off. Um, don't really believe that much in the Bulls. Don't really believe that much in the Pacers. Uh, but of those five through eight, no matter how it shakes out, um, there have been these four uh, teams that have pretty well separated themselves in the Eastern Conference this year. 
uh, with Cleveland, Boston, Washington, and Toronto. Of those bottom four, whoever it may be, uh, Bucks, Bulls, Pacers, uh, I'm sorry, Hawks, Bucks, Bulls, Pacers, which of those teams is the most dangerous? If one of them pulled off an upset, would you say Bucks? Uh, you know, I guess I would pick the Bucks just because they have the young talent. They have uh, guys that just have high variance and can just show out on a, on a certain night, and they have more than one of those guys. Whereas with the Bulls, you got to hope that Jimmy Butler has a 40-point game and that Dwayne Wade, when he comes back this weekend, comes back looking great and can kind of play that second role. I think that's a, a bit of a tough ask since he's been sitting for a, for a while. The Hawks, like I said, I'm not super high on it. I don't know who the second guy would really be for the Pacers. I guess the Bucks just have one more option in Middleton as, as their second guy. Though, that being said, Paul George has been incredible in the playoffs. He strikes fear in the heart of whoever he's playing. He almost single-handedly took down the Raptors in seven last year. We remember, everybody remembers what he did with earlier in his career against LeBron and the Heat. So I suppose there's a, a series out there where Paul George averages 40 points for a series and is the best player on the court for the entire series. I think you figure out a way to get up to seven, you know, past the Bulls. The Bulls either fall out of the playoffs, the Heat jump in, whatever happens, and they get the Celtics, a team that hasn't won a playoff series yet, and Paul George just goes unconscious for a week. I can see the Pacers maybe pulling something off, but I think it's going to be a big ask for anyone. Any one of those four teams, though, you know, the Bucks are just young enough, and, you know, they've been peaking a little bit right now that maybe they're just peaking at the right time to kind of steal a series. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and and they would certainly be fun to see back in the playoffs. I love all their fear the deer stuff and everything they got going when they're a playoff team. It's usually really fun. Yeah. The one thing that's kind of strange about that to me is deer seem like such a cuddly animal, you know. They're just so, <laughs> so protected and they look so gentle. The most scared I am of a deer is driving at night out in the country. I grew up in a tiny town, and it's not uncommon to see deer just hopping around. But that requires you to be driving. Fear the deer to me is just a, a strange little uh, <laughs> uh, slogan that seems to exist mostly because it rhymes. And let me go to something else that you said, by the way. All right, which is, well, well, listen. By the way, the deers. You're. T- I think you're talking about like does, like that are bouncing around. You're talking when you see like one of the. The big bucks with like the the monster antlers; those are not those are not docile animals to me. Like I don't, I wouldn't want a part of that. Okay, you're right. I am mostly referring to you're talking about like Bambi. Yeah, you're talking about like Bambi, not like the in the woods gangster deer. Yes, those can be a little bit scarier. I'm talking about the ones that are like on somebody's like living room wall. Right, like some kind of like twelve point buck or something. I'm not talking about like Bambi. Yeah, uh, fair fair point. Though I follow Brad Miller on Instagram, and that guy's out just slaughtering deer on the regular. So maybe I've been <laughs> maybe cool. I've been jaded to see how easily these deer are taken down by former NBA players. Is Brad Miller a good follow on uh, on Twitter? Um. He's a, he's a better follower on Instagram. If if you're into hunting, if you're a big outdoorsman, then he's a great follow. It's turkey season right now, and he really seems to be on fire. This all makes sense now. I remember years ago I was watching a game on WGN when he was playing for the Bulls, 
And before they did like the walk off interview, he put a dip in. <laughs> like he put, yeah, he like, he's, a, he's kind of a famous dipper in the NBA. I don't know if there are a lot of uh, NBA tobacco <laughs> dippers, but uh, seems more of a high school baseball thing to me. But Brad Miller, definitely one of them. And then I love that, it, like, as soon as he retired, he went right into hosting an outdoor show. Like, it was almost like he was ready for his NBA career to be done so he could finally focus on it, what he really loved being outdoors and shooting. And let me go back to something else you said a little bit earlier with the whole Pacers and Paul George could be the best player, but I don't really know who their second guy is. Um, Ever heard of Lance Stevenson? Hello? <laughs> yeah, I have heard of Lance Stevenson. I remember that one good half season he had. <laughs> Lance, Lance, That's crazy Lance. to me. Once, once Lance came back to the Pacers and people were reminded of, you know, the kind of 12 through 14 run that the Pacers had when they were the best team in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, solely because the Bulls couldn't stop getting hurt. So the Pacers swooped into that uh, that power vacuum. People swear that Lance Stevenson was an incredible player, the second best guy on the Pacers, and you know he was just out there helping Paul George throughout the entirety of that run. Basically, to me, in the 13-14 season, he had an incredible first half of the year, was a borderline all-star, didn't get picked as an all-star, and then things kind of fell apart for him, some part, part for the Pacers, and things haven't been the same for the team or Lance since. I guess they're just hoping that he can regain the early part of the year magic that he, that he had when things were going well. Who do you think home court advantage matters to the most? And you've been in a lot of these arenas, um, and I know Toronto is is looked at as one of the teams that has this great home crowd and they you know they always I, I it just stands out to me because they always show like 20,000 people out on their plaza like outside and everything else um Boston's had you know obviously with their lack of success over the last uh several years I can imagine their crowds are going to be pretty crazy but do you think home court advantage matters deeply to any of these particular teams in terms of because we're, we're we're seeing where they're all going to be seated the rest of the way, and that will matter going forward. Yeah, who does it matter to? I think that you know any of the top four teams, they're going to be enjoying their home court. The Raptors, for whatever reason, game one of every series they seem to lose, which kind of negates their uh, their home court advantage. Right. But I think you would still rather be playing as the home team come the second round. So I think that it's going to be big for the Celtics. I think it's going to be big for the Raptors. I know it'd be pretty tough for the Raps to catch the Celtics um, to yeah. move into the two seed for when those two teams throw down. But, you know, I guess, I guess maybe it's Cleveland, you know, they have shown that they cared enough about the one seed that they went out and smoked the Celtics. The last time. So it must be a little bit important to them. So, you know, all things considered, you got to beat LeBron on yeah. your home court and in Cleveland, no matter what. So I don't yeah, know. I kind of thought Every it was, team I, should want the one seat. It's tough. And that is crazy about what took place earlier this week because I thought it was way more important for Boston because in the end – I, I don't think it matters if Cleveland has home court advantage. I mean, hell, they beat they beat the Warriors in Oracle last year to win a title. So me standing up and saying, like, I don't think home court advantage like gives you a big advantage against LeBron. But against everybody else, like if the Cavs happen to get picked off or something, that's when it would really matter if you're Boston. And, and 
truth be told, if you could ever get them to a game seven, you'd much rather have it in your home home arena anyway. But it doesn't appear like that's in the cards. It, it appears as if you know Cleveland's going to be able to hang on to this thing, and and it did matter to them after all. Yeah, I think if we're having this conversation last week, we would be talking a lot about how much the Celtics need to hold on to that one seed if they're going to have any chance of beating the Cavs. But now that you see that the Cavs are going to have the tiebreaker and they're ahead already in standing, these guys are going to lock it in to have the first seed, which is tough for the Celtics because this is a team that hasn't even won a playoff series with the group they have now. They need all the help they can get. And that includes being able to have Game 7 on your home floor if there is a home floor. Uh, but, you know, a bit of a lost opportunity for the Celtics. So they made a good run at it. Today's show brought to you by Netflix. 2017 is well underway, and time is working hard to redeem itself after a bleak 2016. Thankfully, one good thing is sure to come of this year, the new Netflix original comedy special, Louis C.K. 2017. Trading in his usual black shirt and jeans for a suit and tie, comedy star Louis C.K. is ready to get down to business with his latest comedy special, which explores the misery and hilarity of life in 2017. And when the suit goes on, the truth comes out. See, things are already looking up in 2017. Watch Louis C.K. 2017, now streaming only on Netflix. Durant is supposed to come back this weekend, Trey. Um... How big of an adjustment period, or do you think he's just going to be able to slide seamlessly back in and the Warriors keep on trucking people? Well, I think it can kind of be both, right? Um, The Warriors, even when they weren't clicking 100% perfect and things still looked a little sketchy with the way that Durant would get fitted with uh, the Warriors from last year, they were still rolling teams and were still one of the best offenses we've ever seen in the NBA. I'm sure there's going to be an adjustment period uh, just because Durant is used to having the ball in his hands. Seth is used to having the ball in his hands, especially since Durant has been out. The ball moves a little bit more. Seth is involved as a creator more. So there's going to be probably a little bit of a rocky transition, but I also have a lot of faith that when players sit out and they see the team that they're playing for do well without them, that the greats are able to see how they're going to be able to get in and how they're going to be able to adjust and adapt their game to what's been successful for their team. It happens with the Clippers, it seems like almost every year, either Blake or Chris Paul gets hurt, the other one of them goes crazy, and then when they come back, they just fit in in a slightly different role just because they've seen what's been working and it can make things better. But... You know, it's, it's not the same as having two MVPs on the same team. So I, I'm sure there will be somewhat of a transition period, but the good thing for the Warriors is they're going to be it back for, you know, these final three games or whatever it is. And then most likely in the first round, they're still going to have another series to kind of iron things out. And then if they're able to take care of that quickly, maybe they get a little more practice time to work things out in practice too. So even though Durant's only going to get a handful of games before the playoffs come, He's going to have more time to actually get acclimated to this slightly different Warriors team than when he was injured earlier in the season. It it seemed like to me that it was going to be a big problem with him out, and clearly uh, it it wasn't the very beginning, but that might have been just a reflection of the schedule, and they've just kept on trucking and and winning those games uh, against the two and the three seed back-to-back in San Antonio and Houston. Did it then convince you that – they could still win without him or a not peak Durant. They could still win the West. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. I think you see them 
that road back-to-back, like you're saying, Houston, San Antonio, on night two, they're down 22 in the first against the Spurs team. They could have easily packed it in and said, you know what, this isn't the game. We're not going to do it, whatever. But the, the perseverance and to be able to come back and get that win, I think, showed that this is still a team. Oh, yeah, they won 73 games last year. They might have not won the championship, but they went to game seven of the finals. This was still a really, really great team. I don't know if they would be the favorite without Durant, um, but I think that with a recovering Durant and a returning Durant, they're definitely the favorite. And I think, honestly, if they didn't have them, it would still probably be a toss-up between them and the Cavs for the, the favorite in the finals. It'll be not as smooth as it would be if Durant had been healthy for the entire season and they were able to to work on their game for an entire nine months. But uh, even with trying to figure things out on the fly, the team is just so good and they have so much talent and the loss of depth might hurt if somebody gets injured in the playoffs, but that's why you go and get a second MVP. So if one of them gets hurt, you still have a great team. They clearly have the tougher road, competition-wise, being in the Western Conference. But would you be more surprised if the Warriors weren't there at the end or the Cavs weren't there at the end? Hmm, That's a tough question. I would honestly be shocked if either team wasn't there. I think that the chasm between the one-seed Cavs to everybody else in the Eastern Conference is such a big jump, though. Especially, you know, LeBron is the boogeyman, too. Everybody has seen how he keeps getting through the Eastern Conference time and time again. Most of the time, he wins the first two rounds in eight games. And, you know, it's basically he's playing one series. He'll give you a game maybe here and there to kind of see how you are going to try and defend him. And then by game two, he's got it figured out. I think that teams are just spooked by LeBron because how do you beat him? Nobody's been able to figure it out yet until you get to the final. So the bigger shock to me would definitely be Cleveland not making it. Yeah, because, listen, even last year, the great forgotten thing, because of what happened with the Warriors and the Cavs, everybody forgot Oklahoma City kind of blew it, too, you know? <laughs> I mean, they had they had. Yeah, that, definitely. I mean, that was a series that seemed like it was won until Clay Thompson was hitting shots when he wasn't even facing the rim. Yeah, that, that, uh, that was a tough spot to be in, for sure. The only thing really to be decided in the West is going to be home court advantage with the Jazz and the Clippers. Um, whoever you like in that particular series, would your opinion change based upon who got home court? Um, I think that home court is big for both teams. I think that Utah is kind of uh, notable for having one of the louder arenas in the league, and it definitely, definitely gets loud. I think that it would be a huge advantage to, to them to be able to have home court advantage for their first playoff appearance in, I think, five seasons, you know, Gordon Hayward has been to the playoffs, but it was four games. Was not a memorable stint in the playoffs. So I think that playing an experienced team like the Clippers, who for all their playoff failings and problems that they had, have still made the playoffs for four straight seasons, still have three top-flight talents on their team. A team like the Jazz needs to have every advantage they possibly can, and that includes being able to play as many games as they can on their home floor especially considering they're at altitude. I don't know how much it's going to affect them, but I think the Jazz would want to have a home court advantage a little bit more than the Clippers, just because the Clippers have that history of playing in the playoffs year in, year out. Chris and Blake have been awesome recently. Um, do you think people, and I know that you know the, when, when teams have success for an extended amount of time, people can get kind of tired of them, and, and their record is not 
uh, great this year. This is not like a peak season for them. But those two guys seem to be both playing awesome at the same time. Do you think there's any chance that we're sleeping on the Clippers a little bit? Oh, it's so hard to say because they are playing well. Chris and Blake both, like you're saying, are playing well. They both haven't played a ton of games, only 58 games through the season. So they're not going to be completely exhausted come playoff time. They both had a chance to rest, but you just see the way that things have gone for the Clippers the past three seasons and the injuries they've gone through, the choke job they've had in whatever round it's been. It's hard to get fired up about the Clippers until they prove somebody wrong, right? It, that um, the series against the Spurs when they won in seven, Chris Paul hit that crazy shot. It really seemed like things had changed for the Clippers, and then the Rockets collapse happened. And I think that that just colors my opinion of the Clippers forever, just because it seems like they are the team that is always going to be good, always going to come close, and never quite make it there. Maybe they are this generation's version of the Sacramento Kings from the early 2000s. I don't know. It's just hard to take the Clippers seriously as a contender just because we know what's happened the past handful of seasons. And it looks like they would be on a total collision course with the, even if they got past the Jazz in the first round. Now you're playing the Warriors in the second round, and that has gone extremely poorly for the Clippers recently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's strange to remember back to a time that wasn't that long ago when the Clippers were the Warriors' biggest rivals, and it seemed like those two teams were going to be vying for playoff positioning for the next few seasons. But the Clippers got old faster than people expected, I think, and the Warriors just kept getting better and better, and then they got Kevin Durant. Yeah. All right, Trey, i got to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about our sponsors. Then I want to ask you about the awards at the end of the season because we only got a couple games left, and if you think any of them can be decided still. Today's Ringer NBA show brought to you by TuneIn. Major League Baseball is finally back, and as the season gets underway, the Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show, playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 60-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call from every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show only on TuneIn during April, and with your premium subscription, Listen to live MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe. Download the TuneIn app and start listening today. TuneIn, your everything audio app. All right, Trey, any of these awards, uh, whether it's, you know, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, MVP, which has been debated now more than I can remember it being debated in a long, long time. Um, is there anything in your mind that can still be decided over the course of the next four or five games, which is most of what these teams have left. The MVP discussion is going to to continue until the last day of the season because anytime somebody has a big game, they're the leader for the MVP. The Westbrook run changed things from Hart to Westbrook pretty quickly and pretty hard because Russ has been going crazy for the past couple of weeks. But you remember before that, it was... Kawhi Leonard had hit that huge three and then blocked Harden at the rim. And then he was the possible MVP. Literally within a couple of days, Harden grabs the rebound against the Nuggets, beats everybody up the court, makes a game-winning layup with a couple of seconds left. Now he's the surefire MVP. Then it was Westbrook again. Whoever it is that is having the best game on a certain night, 
they are the MVP. And since we've still got, you know, five nights left of the season, that's still enough chance for a couple more swerves, right or left, whether it be Russ or Harden. People are so into this MVP race. People are putting so much into the final month of the season as if the first four months of the season don't matter as much as the final month does. I don't totally get that, but I think that the way the the news cycle works and the the lines that Harden and Westbrook are able to put up every night, there's no doubt that that, that those votes and those opinions can change night to night, and that it could still happen. How about with you? Is your mind made up? I've been a Harden guy for a long, long time. Now is the closest I've ever been to wanting to have a Westbrook vote just because the fourth quarter comeback and the fourth quarter takeover are incredible. But then I remember to go watch James Harden and, oh, yeah, the night where Westbrook is lighting things up against the Grizzlies and taking over in the fourth quarter. Harden scoring 14 straight in the fourth quarter and hitting a dagger three, just like Westbrook did on the very same night. He just doesn't get quite as much pub for his exploits as Westbrook does. I don't know that I'm ever going to switch to Westbrook. I like the efficiency of Harden. I don't care too much that Westbrook is averaging a couple more rebounds than Harden is. But I don't blame anybody who wants to vote for Westbrook because he has been just as good as Harden, and depending on what you value, he's been better. Coach of the Year is going to be an awesome race because there are so many. I think this is one of the best years in coaching in a long, long time, Um, partly because, right, for the first time in a couple of decades, nobody's going to get fired. But beyond that, there's just a lot of guys that I think have done a really good job. Um, Could that one be up for grabs? Spolstra felt like he was making a real late run, Um, but if they don't make the playoffs— it it almost feels like if Spolster was able to— when we said he's he's a half a game out— and he's at Toronto, at Washington, Cleveland, and Washington. Like, if he won three out of four or four out of four to make the playoffs, I almost feel like Spolster would win coach of the year then. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. And so I I kind of feel like that one might kind of still be up for grabs coach of the year, or no? Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, um, again, if we were talking last week and uh, the Heat are still in the playoff picture and or if they finish in the playoffs, he's going to get a ton of votes. Similar to the Celtics, if they were able to hold down the one seed, I think Brad Stevens would have got a ton of votes. But Popovich is always going to get votes on account of the, the sort of LeBron corollary of he's always the best coach. Ergo, he is the coach of the year. Quinn Snyder, I think, is a good candidate uh, to let the Jazz have home court advantage if they're able to hold that down. Antoni seems to me to be the the whole season um, culture change candidate. There are just so many different ways you can go with the coach of the year vote that this one seems like it can't totally be decided until you've seen the final standings because things like who makes the playoffs, where they're seated, are going to matter so much to people who are doing the voting. The interesting one about Spolster is I uh, I talked about him and and the, 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 everybody was kind of talking about the fact that they started eleven and thirty or whatever it was to get in the position they're in now and what an incredible job he has done and and that's not an uncommon uh, narrative that Spolster has done an incredible job there and immediately somebody did hit me on Twitter and was like wait wasn't he still the coach when they were eleven and thirty shouldn't he get a demerit for that and I was like. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like he, he was kind of, you know, it's not like one of those George Carl Nugget situation, right? Where he came in and it was a rat team that all of a sudden couldn't lose. 
And so you looked and there was this immediate effect that took place. It was kind of funny. At least that was one of the responses I got. Like, hey, man, it, it was his fault they were 11 and 30 in the first place. And I was like, ah. <laughs> you don't really hear yeah, that side not... of the argument. You don't hear that side of the argument so much. And I was kind of taken aback. That's a good point, though. It's, um, it's a tough thing to do is to battle the recency bias that just is a natural part of being a human. The passage of time is going to reflect on what happened to you most recently. is going to be the freshest. So if a team is great in the second half, maybe they get more coaches a year votes. If a player gets eight triple-doubles in a row or seven triple-doubles and almost gets an eighth in the final two weeks of the season, that's a great time to make your MVP case, even if – the games in December when uh, when you're not looking good, you're 11 and 30, and it's still early in the season. Those games count as much as they do at the at the end of the season. It's just impossible to not have the freshest thing in your mind. But you know, I guess that's just what it is being a human. All right, uh, last thing: the other end of all these good teams that we have been talking about is teams trying to get as bad a record as they could possibly have <laughs> so that they could get the most amount of lottery balls. Who do you think let's, let's just say that whether it's Markel Fultz or Lonzo ball or whoever gets taken number one in this upcoming NBA draft, Josh Jackson from Kansas. There's a bunch of guys uh, that could probably be in the mix. Even if Fultz has been on the mock drafts at first uh, as the number one pick for a long time, let's just say whoever is the number one pick is amazing like a multiple time all-star who do you think needs it the worst of any team if we're even looking just at the pure standings any team that's going to be in the lottery i think the dallas mavericks might need it the most i know that seems ridiculous but Dirk's not going to be around forever they're going to need another superstar to take his place whenever he finally decides to retire and I think that, you know, a season of Fultz or Ball playing next to Dirk Nowitzki would be awesome. Uh, and I think that right there you have your built-in next superstar. I think that would be huge. Whereas a team like the Celtics, if they get the Nets pick, they have the number one. It's more of a weird decision, right? The Celtics are already a good team. Maybe this draft pick is the guy that takes them to the next to the next level, or maybe they're able to shift that guy for a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George. Whereas teams like the Lakers the Magic, the Sixers. These are still teams that are going to be bad no matter what next year, though. It'll definitely help getting a top pick. So I would just I just kind of would love to see Dirk get to play with the next Maverick before he is finally done being a Maverick. I love that. I love that answer because obviously you'd be walking and you'd be playing for a great coach. You'd be playing, you know, the organization clearly has a really good culture. And how and and who knows? Like they they have not been one of those teams that has been uh, willing to be a lottery team, um, they try to win, right? They try to win, and, yeah. and they're and they're going to have Ner- You know, they're going to pay. You know, uh, they're going to break the bank on Nerlens in the off season. So it would be young guy and Nerlens at least as a future pairing for them going forward. That would be yeah, be, yeah, yeah, be yeah, of- Nerlens and Harrison Barnes. That's a pretty good start over from losing the greatest player in your franchise history. Yeah. No, and I always got and I and I like the idea of somebody that doesn't have a great chance, like a team that's not consistently crappy all the time, getting the highest pick. Right? I would like for it to be like that's what everybody's fought against for a long time. That there is such incentive to being crappy, whereas they they have not been crappy. Right? They they have not put out a 
a shit product all year. Dallas. Oh, definitely. They struggled basically in 2016 and a little bit into January. And then they made a pretty good push to try and get into the playoffs. They made a move to try and get in the playoffs, picking up Nerland. It would be a huge jump to get that number one. But, you know, when the Bulls were able to pull it off in the Derrick Rose lottery, it was almost the same scenario. They were a fine team, but didn't have a huge future. They got this guy who was going to be great from a, from a huge lottery odds uh, disadvantage. And I, I don't know if a, if a team like the Mavericks, who is just on the edge of the playoff picture, that doesn't seem like they have a, a, a sterling future, is able to just jump up and get Fultz or Ball, whoever's going to be the best. That would be awesome. Yeah, I would like a team that can that puts out the effort to be good to to get, weirdly get rewarded. Um, in that in the system that we have now. He is Taco Trey Kirby from the Starters. You can watch him tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV. Trey, you're the man. Thanks for coming on today. All right, thanks for having me. I'm just happy to be able to call you Verno now. My man. It's gonna do it for another Ringer NBA show. We will talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs>